Ray, when I was a kid growing up in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, I remember going to see a traveling circus that came through town. Sure. I remember stuff like that coming through my town. Sure. So the circus was so small that it was held in the parking lot of the Sandy Hook Volunteer Fire Department. That does sound like a small <laughs> circus, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there was a big top, a petting zoo area, some clowns, things like that. Uh, but I remember the animal show under the tent. Now, at one point, they had a tiger that was going to jump through a hoop. And the ringmaster announced that Connecticut state law forbids the circus from having any open flames under the tent. So he asked us to imagine the hoop was on fire as the tiger jumps through. Yeah, I can imagine that's not as exciting. No, no, it wasn't. But it turns out the ringmaster wasn't kidding about that Connecticut state law. A law that was put in place after a horrible circus tragedy left 167 people dead, including a young girl who would go on to start a mystery that lasted half a century. Today, we're heading to Hartford, Connecticut to explore the Great Circus Fire Mystery. Hello, I'm Jeff Belanger. And I'm Ray Ozier. Welcome to episode 296 of the New England Legends podcast. And thanks for joining us on our mission to chronicle every legend in New England one story at a time. Most of our story leads come from you, so please reach out to us anytime through our website. This week's episode deals with some tragic themes involving the death of children. If you're sensitive to that, you may want to skip this one. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash p60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash p60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on. And if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. All right, Jeff, let's make our way to Hartford, Connecticut's capital city. So Hartford has the nickname of the insurance capital of the world. (laughs) If there was ever a thing to not brag about, right? I know, right? Uh, On a good day, insurance isn't exciting. On a bad day, you want to sue them because you pay them tons of money in case something goes wrong. And when something does go wrong, their job becomes to find a way not to pay you. Right. So Hartford became the insurance capital because way back in 1810, merchants had a growing concern related to warehouse fires. 
with all the shipping ports in New England, shipping of goods going in and out of those ports, and the American Industrial Revolution in full swing, warehouses held enough goods that a fire could bankrupt a whole region. So Hartford Fire Insurance Company was formed. And then other companies moved in to compete. Companies like Aetna, Travelers, and Connecticut Mutual Life. How fitting that a fair of fire led to Hartford becoming the insurance capital. I know, right? Because we're here because of a tragic fire. An awful event that left 167 people dead and more than 700 injured. And the identity of a child who perished in question for decades launched a mystery. Okay, make a right up here onto Barber Street. Okay, got it. And we can park right here in the parking lot of the Fredwish School. Okay, we're heading behind the school to that circular brick patio-looking section in the middle of the field. All right, in the middle of the brick area, there's a dome memorial. And in the middle is an oval that shows the layout of the big top with bleacher sections and three rings and two squares in the middle of it all. On the next ring, it reads... The Hartford Circus Fire Memorial, July 6, 1944, and July 6, 2005. That's when this memorial was dedicated. And in the next ring is the list of 167 names of the victims. This was ground zero, Ray. The story is brutal, but lessons were learned. And to find out what happened, let's head back to July of 1944. It's Thursday, July 6th, 1944, here in Hartford, Connecticut, and it's a hot one, too. World War II has been raging for five years now, and the people of Hartford are looking for something to take their minds off of worrying about loved ones, friends, and neighbors fighting overseas. And a circus is just the distraction Hartford needs right now. And there's none bigger than the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. The greatest show on earth pulled into Hartford yesterday with some of their train cars running late. The crew had to scramble to get everything set up in time. The grass had already been freshly mowed, and wood chips and hay were laid down to cover the dirt patches. The elephants helped hoist the big top yesterday, and everyone pitched in to get the bleachers and all the sideshows set up. Still, they were late enough to miss the matinee show yesterday. You can ask anyone in the circus, missing a show is considered bad luck. Yep, that was yesterday. And as they say, the show must go on. Sure. Today's matinee performance is much more promising. Everything is in place now, and the performers and workers got a good night's sleep after last night's show. The Big Top 10 is impressive, too. It is. It's 200 feet wide, 450 feet long, with 15-foot-high sidewalls. The tent comes to a peak 48 feet up, almost five stories tall. The Big Top tent is kept waterproof by a coat of paraffin and thinned with gasoline so it coats evenly. With all the bleachers in place, this tent can see 9,000 spectators. That's a lot of people. And there's a ton of people here today. I'm sure a lot of folks have taken off the whole week for the 4th of July holiday, plus the kids are out of school. What could be better than going to the circus? Thousands of people are filling into the Big Top for the first show of the day. French lion tamer Alfred Court is dazzling audiences with his lions. People are pouring in and out of the main entrance. There's eight smaller entrances around the tent, but some of those are blocked by rolling animal cages and other props that get wheeled in for the show. Ooh, look above, Ray. The great Willendas are taking their position on the flying trapeze. Wow, this is exciting. The crowd is hushed in anticipation. And there they go. What a show.
The band just started playing Stars and Stripes forever. That's, that's odd. Is that smoke? I think it is. Oh, man. The tent is on fire over there. We, we got to get out of here. This is terrible. The big top is quickly turning into a ball of fire. Some of the exits are blocked by those animal cages. Oh, people are trampling each other. People are running everywhere. The, the screams are awful. Eight minutes. That's all it took. Just eight minutes for the entire Big Top tent to burn up to nothing. It's clear from the black smoldering ashes that many people have died inside the tent today. Children, families, old people, young people, and even some of the circus animals. Dozens couldn't make it out in time. Police, fire, and other emergency workers are arriving at the scene and rushing in to help the injured. People have been burned badly. Others are choking from the smoke. This is a horrific scene. Parents have lost children in there, and children have lost parents. What should have been a fun day at the circus has turned into the worst nightmare the state has ever seen. Soon, some of the tales of the survivors begin to emerge. First of all, it turns out when the band was told to play Stars and Stripes forever, that was a code to all circus employees that something has gone horribly wrong. So the performers and workers acted as fast as they could. But there were many other survivor stories, too, like 11-year-old Maureen Karikian. She was supposed to go to the circus with a neighbor and her daughter, but when she went to the house, they were already gone. So Maureen went to the circus alone and sat by herself on the bleachers. I remember somebody yelling and seeing a big ball of fire near the top of the tent. And this ball of fire just got bigger and bigger and bigger. By that time, everybody was panicking. The exit was blocked with cages that animals were brought in and out with. And there was a man taking kids and flinging them up and over the cage to get them out. I was sitting at the bleachers and jumped down. I was three quarters of the way up. You jumped down and it was all straw underneath. There was a young man, a kid, and he had a pocket knife and slit the tent, took my arm and pulled me out. Maureen was able to grab the arm of another little girl and pull her out as well. There are many stories of heroism coming out from this tragedy. Strangers helping strangers out of the tent. Children being thrown to safety. Everyone doing all they could to get people out alive. The best investigators can figure is that someone carelessly flicked a cigarette near the men's toilets. The cigarette ignited the hay near the tent, and the paraffin and gasoline-covered Big Top burst into flames. The paraffin and gasoline kept the tent waterproof, but also made it highly flammable. And now comes the horrible job of removing the dead and identifying the bodies. 167 people are believed to have perished. Hundreds more were injured. The exact number won't ever be known because those who could treat their own wounds went home and not to the hospital. Now, one of the injured is a young blonde girl in a white dress who was badly trampled in the rush to get out of the burning tent. The young girl suffered only minor burns, but she didn't survive her internal injuries for more than a few hours. Others also died from their injuries. It takes days to sift through the ashes, and the actual number is uncertain because, as you can imagine, not everyone was easily identifiable. And if someone wasn't reported missing, then it's unknown who is who. As days pass, no parent comes forward to claim the young girl in the white dress who died in the hospital. She soon becomes known as Little Miss 1565, 1565 being the number assigned by the morgue. Investigators are brokenhearted and baffled by this young girl. How could days go by with no frantic parent looking for answers? The girl is fingerprinted and photographed by police investigators. 
Sergeants Thomas Barber and Edward Lowe. As more time passes, the decision is made to publish the girl's photograph in the newspapers in hopes of finding answers as to the girl's identity. This photograph is hard to look at. I mean, especially for parents. Her eyelids are sewn shut. There's some blackened burn marks on the far side of her face, but for the most part, she looks mostly whole. I mean, it's just gut-wrenching. The picture circulates in newspapers nationally and even in some magazines. Little Miss 1565 has become the face of this horrible circus fire tragedy. And as more time goes by, the girl is finally buried in Norwood Cemetery in Hartford with no way to know her name. Each Christmas, Memorial Day, and July 4th, Sergeants Barber and Lowe lay flowers at the girl's grave. They never close Little Miss 1565's case. Year after year, they continue searching for answers. From here, we jump ahead 43 years into the future. It's 1987. One day, someone discovers a note on Little Miss 1565's grave. It reads, Sarah Graham is her name. July 6, 1938. Date of birth, six years. Twin. Graham's alleged twin and other relatives would be buried close by. But that's only one person's opinion as to who the girl may be. Still, the note causes a stir. And now we jump ahead four more years to 1991. Little Miss 1565's body is exhumed. Investigators determined through DNA that the girl was eight-year-old Eleanor Emily Cook. Her aunt and uncle were able to make the match. And this begs the question, how could this happen? Uh, How could it take almost 50 years to identify her? That mystery begins to unravel. According to a March 9, 1991 Hartford Current newspaper article, in the aftermath of the fire, Eleanor's maternal aunt, Emily Gill, tried to identify the body. She said she was sure her niece had eight upper secondary teeth, and this girl only had four upper and four lower secondary teeth. And there's also a question as to whether Gill was even shown the right body at the time. According to the article, the Cook family assumed Eleanor had died in the fire and was among the remains that were unidentifiable. They placed a headstone next to her brother, who also died in the fire. Eleanor Emily Cook, March 17, 1936 to July 6, 1944. There was no body underneath the memorial stone. Not until 1991, when Little Miss 1565 was exhumed and reinterred next to her brother. According to Eleanor's aunt, the young girl loved flowers and had her own garden that she took care of. She took piano lessons and was diligent about practicing. Her nickname from when she was a baby was Honey. And that brings us back to today. And that brings us back to this memorial behind the Wish School. Such a tragic story. It's easy to look back and be furious. Coating a tent with wax and gasoline? That's begging for a disaster. It's so easy to say that now, and laws changed after this event. Charges of involuntary manslaughter were eventually filed against the officials of the Ringling Brother and Barnum & Bailey Circus, and the company was forced to pay out $5 million to the victims' families. And Connecticut passed a law saying you can no longer have fires inside of tents. It's terrible that it takes a tragedy like this to make big changes, but at least those changes mean that all the people didn't die in vain. The other thing about this event is that the numbers are too staggering. When you have estimates of 500 to 700 injured and 167 dead, they become faceless, a statistic, a cold number that really doesn't mean anything. But little Miss Eleanor was one child, one face, one story that can make us say, hey, never again, not on my watch. The power of one story is always the most compelling.
And that takes us to After the Legend, where we explore this week's story a little deeper and sometimes veer off course. After the Legend is brought to you by our Patreon patrons. This epic group of people support everything we do. They know great content isn't free, so they help us out and become a bigger part of our community. It's just three bucks per month, and you'll get early access to new episodes, plus bonus episodes and content that no one else gets to hear. Head over to patreon.com slash New England Legends to sign up. Also, if you want to see some pictures from that tragic day in Hartford, you can click on the uh, episode description link or go to our website and click on episode 296. It's pretty rough, and um, but I thought about the power of one story. And um, I first heard this years ago. Someone was talking about how profound Gettysburg is. Yeah. Where you've got 40,000 plus dead, missing, or wounded in three days. Mm. And that's just, it's an incomprehensible number. Right. But one person, right? When you, when you hear about young Eleanor and you multiply her by 167. Yeah. That was 167 someone's Eleanor's. Right. You know, like uh, th- th- those, I know there was adults and elderly people and everything in between. Uh, but they were all someone's kid. You hear this in the press a lot. They look for that one story. One story. Or sometimes it's in a movie or TV show, and the yep. reporter says, that's the story right there. And that's what's going to resonate with people. Right. And and you can say that's exploitive or whatever, but laws changed because they had to change. Wax and gasoline? My God. What? Do you, I mean, a lightning strike, anything could have set that thing off. Right. I mean, it seems insane now, but I'm, but that was what you did, yeah. right? I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's horrible. The other thing that was really confusing to me was that, you know, this girl also had a mother who lived in Hartford mm-hmm. and uh, had family in Massachusetts and an aunt and uncle and things like that. And it was circulated in the papers. How did mom not recognize her daughter? And uh, it turns out, she was, until her death, her mother uh, denied that that could be my daughter. And psychologists would suggest this is just denial to an extreme case, right? But she assumed her child was dead anyway. Yeah, I mean, sure, I think you sort of had to, but I think there was a piece of her that sort of held out hope that maybe she ran away after that. Maybe she got a concussion and forgot who she was, and she lived a long, happy life somewhere. But when you see it, it's different, I guess. Believing that fiction is better than, you know, living the truth, yeah. which is, I, I interviewed someone very recently. Um, she had lost family in a, a landslide oh. in, in South America. It was a terrible event. I mean, a whole town was wiped out. And um, I said, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, you lost your, your husband and your daughter. And she said, they're still out there. And I, and I, I mean, I'm not going to correct well, That makes her, sense. Right? Yeah, yeah. But in her mind... Uh, something happened to them. They wandered off together and they're, they're living a good full life somewhere and they're not gone, gone forever. And she needs that. And and by the way, this event took place decades ago. Yeah. Like this is not recent. And so, I mean, who knows how any of us would react losing someone so precious to us Mm. um, in such a horrible tragedy. Like, you know, I, when it comes to grief, you can't blame anyone for anything, really. Right. There's no textbook on how you grieve. But um, or you could blame the circus in this case. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure. There was, I mean, obviously, especially with hindsight, you're like, okay, you had the like most flammable possible tent you could have. Um, you know, you, you had some of the exits blocked. Did you imagine being in that meeting, by the way? What are we going to coat this thing with? Yeah. Somebody must have stood up and said, like Larry stood up and said, I don't think that's a good idea. Larry, you're an intern. Right. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. We'll deal with this. So, I mean, uh, paraffin, it's wax. And not to get too graphic, but what made it even worse is you had molten, fiery wax oh, yeah. falling on people. 
So that's like oh napalm, God. you know, I mean, that's more or less, it sticks to you and it keeps burning. Yeah. And so, um, absolutely awful. Helpless animals as well. Yeah. The animal, like there's, is, there's no good part of this story. Reminds me of that boat story where we lost oh, a lot right. of animals in Maine. Yeah, that's right. The, um, there was a fire and, uh, a few circus animals were able to swim to shore, but, but the rest, um, yeah, perished. It's, uh, it's tragic all around. And this, um, it's ironic, right? This, there's a, a, I think it's an elementary school, the wish school, right, right in front of this memorial mm. and the memorial is sort of beautiful. The dome and there's a picture of it on our website and you can see the layout of the 10 and the three rings and all that. And, um, you can only imagine like you're standing right there where it happened. It's, it's powerful right. to stand in these places. And when you know what happened and you go, yeah, never again, like, come on, yeah. you know, like let's, let's get a little bit smarter, a little bit safer. Like people shouldn't die needlessly, especially at a circus. Mm. Um, so, so, so tragic. Um, but I think that that's, sometimes we, we tell these stories, sometimes they do haunt us because it allows us to affect some change and allows us to look at the next thing we're doing and say, you know, what can we do to make sure that people are safe? Um, because we learn from our mistakes and we learn from our forefathers mistakes. Sometimes and, yeah. <laughs> we hope, <laughs> or we don't, <laughs> we hope, we hope we do. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, when I was a kid, I remember that circus. I remember him saying, imagine it's on fire. And as a, like a 11 year old kid, I'm like, that's goofy, man. Yeah. You know, good but, reason for it. And now that I know this story, I'm like, yep. Good, good call. As a reason why we don't have para, uh, para, para. Para, paraffin no pyrotechnics yeah right no, pyrotechnics pyrotechnics sorry there's a reason why we don't have para, yeah. pyrotechnics at uh shows anymore it's too, the station of the station in yeah. rhode island yeah we had to learn the hard way on that right i know yeah horrible right i mean it's so obvious now right right it, it, like, it, what were they thinking back then but, but they, they probably, weren't they did it a hundred times because nothing happened before that that's right and then it happens and you're like why did we ever allow this yeah you know um so yeah i get it so many tragedies but the best we can do is let things change for the better. We love when you get involved with us. So many of our story leads come from you. So please reach out to us anytime through our website. Also, we deeply appreciate it when you take the time to post a review for us. And when you share these stories with your friends on social media. It's how we grow. The more listeners, the more stories that come in. We appreciate your help. Thank you to Annie Osier for lending her voice acting talent this week. Thank you to our Patreon patrons and our theme music is by John Judd. Until next time, remember, the bazaar is closer than you think. 